Hello and welcome to Curiosity Didn't Kill the Cash, a podcast production by Social Fabric with me, Andrea Splendori, in collaboration with Dara Power. In this series, we look at curiosity and creativity and what it means to people and what it means to all of us. And today's guest is Bernie Fodor, a transformation advisor, coach and runner, and passionate about Leonardo da Vinci. So we explore Leonardo in all its glory, and I hope you enjoy it. Please subscribe, share and review. It's the only way podcasts like this have a chance to survive. The title tune is Happy and Shiny by The Roundabout Us. Because, uh, yeah, I, have, I absolutely love that idea of uh, the Holy Grail. And I've been telling a couple of people, I said, what do you think of this, you know? So Leonardo search for Holy Grail. I think it's fantastic. And uh, and uh, I'd love to know more from you, Bernie, that you're, you're the expert on Leonardo, I believe. Uh, like, I, I'm a great fan, as I suppose most people are. And one of my favorite books of all time is The, the Agony and the Ecstasy. The story of Michelangelo, where he, he meets, okay. Leonardo, meets <laughs> Leonardo in Florence, and he's just everybody wants to be Leonardo. You know, even then it was this, you know, he he just awed everybody. So tell us about your your idea of Leonardo. Where where, where did the passion come from? Okay, um, first of all, uh, thank you for starting with Michelangelo because I think they are often mentioned as these you know famous couples or pairs in history and in art history. And I just recently watched uh, one of the one of a very nice documentary about the two of them comparing, because it's an all time discussion, who is the bigger artist. Uh, and I think this somehow leads to the to the topic why I'm, I think, a, just an absolute fan of Leonardo is I don't think so Leonardo was an artist. I think he was much more and I think he never even considered himself being an artist. Somehow reading about him more and more, I always had the impression that these masterpieces he created, and we have still today a couple of them, it was somehow just a side effect, actually, of his curiosity. Because what I also learned uh, during my, I haven't done studies, but I, I read books about Leonardo, I think, for a couple of years even, and I'm, I'm really fascinated about his, not just the heritage or the legacy, but the whole person. Uh, seems to be just a, a joyful, fun person. Um, that most what we know about him, it's coming from his own notebooks. And we have a lot because he was constantly taking notes. And in these notebooks, it's also obvious that he was constantly drawing. So he was so curious that whenever he went even to have lunch, he made some drawings and he made some comments. And I also remember from one of the books that um, he actually gave him task himself, like to-do list tasks, what to study more, what to observe more. And somehow, um, for me, what is outstanding really is there are so many people in history who, who've been extremely talented uh, artistically or anyhow, but I, I'm, I don't know other person from my studies even who could somehow keep their own running curiosity for such a long time. I mean, he lived, thanks God, even relatively long. So um, 
this is how how the story for myself with Leonardo started. By the way, I think it started very heavily during COVID because I had way too much time. <laughs> and I started even uh, listening the books about Leonardo first when I was walking and then during my long runs. So somehow it became a very nice habit to go out and connect Leonardo with uh, nature and uh, activities. Uh, it's fascinating. Just say, I will give Dara uh, the, the chance to talk at some point, but I, I want to ask you a couple of questions. Uh, I love the way you think it's, um, well, your idea is that it's just a side, you know, whatever you created was just a, kind of a side effect of what he, what he was doing. And uh, it's quite amazing. How, so how would that be different from, you know, we mentioned Michelangelo. How, what would yeah. you say the difference there? So I, I know, I think, significantly less about Michelangelo. I know masterpieces, and I also read about him because of Leonardo. Um, my understanding about his attitude was that he did everything to be able to paint or even make a sculpture better. So like it was all about his perfectionism. I, for example, read that uh, both of them studied dead bodies, corpse, and Michelangelo's drive behind was to be able to paint a perfect muscle structure for the characters, whilst Leonardo was interested how the human body works, what makes it move. He wanted to understand more and more. I also read somewhere that he did, I think, more than 30 examinations on basically skulls just to understand the muscles around the lips because he wanted to understand what makes humans smile. And somehow for me, this is fascinating because it, it, for me, it sounds much more than trying to paint something perfect. Although by the way, he tried because he hardly finished any work in his life because he never felt these already. He was always learning something more and more, but I, I still think it was the side effect of, of his extreme curiosity, which was, which was his main drive. Mm. Yeah, no, it is fascinating. I have one of his books, The Anatomy, which is yep. so yeah. Yeah. incredible to, to watch uh, you know, some of those drawings, to look at some of those drawings. It's just whatever number of years, well, many, is it six yes. years later, whatever it is? It's roughly, yes. <laughs> perfect. Yes. Yeah. Wow. Exactly. Uh, do you know, by the way, that this is still what is the official drawing style in anatomy? So what he originally built up the different uh, angles, how you try to, for example, draw a heart, the structure of a heart. This is what they still use. So it's coming from Leonardo da Vinci and it's, yeah, it's almost 600 years. It's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> One of the things that surprised me when we were talking, Bernie, you know, was like a you know, there's the Leonardo da Vinci developed mirror writing. You know? Yeah, <laughs> is that and 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 like people were like, "Wow, does this does this connect to like you know the Holy Grail cult? Is he is he writing in code or something?" And you were saying, "No, he was left-handed, and it wouldn't Correct. smudge the ink, and he was writing so fast that he he didn't want to kind of like uh, wait to finish, you know, or drawing so exactly. fast." And I think that the thing with the curiosity is like uh, because he was so curious in so many different areas um, people project their own curiosity onto him and kind of go 
wow, there must be even more, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yes. because like uh, if this is what's in his notebook, what was in his head? And it's yes. back to what you were saying, Andrea, about the, uh, the the way of being, you know, that it's like the the the, the output is a byproduct of uh, of a process of or, or of a mind of that that's very curious. It's not about the outcome or the output. It's about the the, the whole living of that, you know. Mm. Yeah, and I love what Bernie is saying about um, being curious about how the mouth moves and doing doing thirty separate drawings versus trying to draw the best possible mouth you can draw. You know that 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 is fascinating. So, but if I so Bernie, if I were to ask you then, because obviously he was a multi everything. He, he wasn't he wasn't an artist. He was everything. He, he was able to do everything. Inventor, artist, everything. Everything that came his way, because it was fed by perhaps by this curiosity that he had about everything. He was able to, you know, how how can we fly, you know? And he drew yeah, the, the original uh, Delta, uh, the, the original planes and the original helicopters, everything, you know, the bicycle. There's all sorts of crazy drawings going on. But how? So now you, you know, in 2023, now we're 23. <laughs> yes. Yeah. How is that, for example, for you, that curiosity that you, you, you're, you're a lawyer, you're working in, in a large corporation, and, but you like to spend hours with Leonardo while you're running. Where is that curiosity coming from? That's a good question. Um, I don't know if it's something ignited somewhere in the childhood or it's maybe a personality thread. Uh, but if I remember, I've always been interested in things which I couldn't understand immediately. Mm. That that's what I remember. So it was my grandfather talking a lot about the universe and the stars. And I always found it very fascinating. Uh, and for me, when I met Leonardo, met, but I even consider him sometimes like a real person. <laughs> I, I, I felt this click that, okay, so there was already a minimum one human being who had this um, drive to always try to meet new things or try to understand new things. Maybe all of us has it. Maybe it's just a different level of, of interest or curiosity. I know for me, this is one of the drives in life to, to meet the next interesting thing, let's put it that way, and then try to understand it. Um, yeah. I th- but I cannot tell exactly where the curiosity comes from. And the reason I was asking that is that when I was thinking at basically, the, I don't know how he lived. Obviously, the um, the Medici paid a lot of his his wages, yeah. and the the Renaissance, all of that was obviously uh, it was great to have the patron uh, Lorenzo the Medici and all of them. But uh, but he was given the space to be curious, right? Um, yeah. Which is unfortunate for some of us. You know, we have to go back to that meeting at three o'clock for four hours. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> and, exactly. Yeah. But you know what is interesting? Um, he wasn't a wealthy person. He was not good with money. Um, so I read a lot about him and we know quite a lot about his life. He was a very generous person, always inviting all of his friends, always treating everyone very good. But in fact, he, he was constantly running out of money. One of the reasons was he either did not finish the project he was engaged for. Uh, Last Supper was, in fact, 
one of these all-time running projects he did because he was way too late with, with everything he did on it. And he very often refused um, requests from Belsi Renaissance families. Just one of the funny stories, I think we spoke about this with Dara. Uh, in this time, for me, that was a new information, but very often how the noble people married, it was just exchanging a painting. So they never met before, they just sent the painting. Now, Leonardo was very famous already in his own time, being one of the most talented portrait painters. He could give this livid or vivid, actually nice face uh, to the people who did the portraits. So many of these wealthy uh, people uh, try to hire him to make the portrait. So that actually raises their chances to get a good marriage. So he was somehow even like an old time Tinder application a little bit. <laughs> and by the way, he, he refused most of the time to paint these noble people. If we look at the paintings we know today, like the Mona Lisa, none of them are, or maybe one or two considered to be anybody from, from this wealth in the Renaissance um, family members. He more painted just average people. So he was, I think he had the same struggle that he had obligations and he was probably not the strongest to, to somehow meet, uh, <laughs> meet the expectations towards him. And it typically had financial uh, consequences on him. Okay. Speaking of the Mona Lisa. <laughs> you have a pocket Mona Lisa. <laughs> Here's one I made earlier. <laughs> Just before I give uh, Darren, we have a painting of the Mona Lisa here, which uh, I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I've been carrying it with me for years and I always have it in my office. Um, anyway, it's, the, it's a little bit smaller than the original. Yes, uh, yeah, a little bit. Okay. <laughs> not that much, not that much. But what's about, what is it about the Mona Lisa for you, Bernie, that you, you love uh, Leonardo so much? Because I love Leonardo and the Mona Lisa, I just can't get my head around. I don't know what it is that people see in it. I can't get it. So, yeah, I find it very fascinating that uh, he, he tried to complete the Mona Lisa or even make it better and better for, I think, more than 16 years. He was carrying this painting big part in his life because he always learned something new so he always beautified or <laughs> made the next level he never considered this one also to be actually complete or finished this is fascinating i think it's also fascinating we don't know who she is most likely she was just the wife of one of the um, sellers from the local market where leonardo was buying his food so there are theories but it's not a princess no one Typically, you know, artist painted that time, mm -hmm. king or someone. Uh, I think these are all fascinating. And yeah, the smile. Everybody says the smile is the special on the Mona Lisa. In fact, um, in, uh, in, in the books uh, about Leonardo, it's also clear that this smile, this is already painted uh, previously. He was painting... Uh, one of his pupils, who was most likely actually his partner in life, Salai, and he was very often drawn by Leonardo, and he had this smile already on the face and the drawing. So it seems to be that this smile is somehow a generic human smile. Maybe it's more the emotion, because that's what we also know that Leonardo was genuinely interested in the human emotion 
mm. how it reflects on the on the face. So it's probably rather an emotion what he tried to paint there. And I think these are all fascinating informations because as Dara said, people anyhow always thought through history that he he did hide messages in everything he did, which is most likely the case. But maybe it's a little bit different. Maybe he was not trying to hide uh, something about a golden sword uh, called the Holy Grail, uh, I don't know, put somewhere in Rome. But it was more his curiosity, what, his, what was his drive behind all the work he did. Um, and I think these are all fascinating little details about the Mona Lisa. And it's, uh, in reality, it's shockingly small, isn't it? Everybody thinks it's a huge uh, painting. Yeah. Maybe because of the fame around it, <laughs> but it's small. But absolutely, and I will ask Darren here to maybe. I love the, the idea of the curiosity being the Holy Grail. I'd like to go back to that because even when you're talking there, Bernie, and just the thought of, and I will ask you maybe to give us a, later on some yeah. the titles of the books you've been listening, listening or reading because I love to, to read some myself. But yeah, I think. If you're naturally curious, as we obviously all are in this room, yeah. the idea that when Dara said to me first, you know, the Holy Grail is the curiosity, I thought, what a fascinating idea, because it, 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 allows, it allows me to think, I have this compulsive want to learn, which I'm mm -hmm. sure the three of us are the same, whether it's learning to draw, to write, to, yeah. to jump, to run, well, it doesn't matter what it is, to study. And, and sometimes you sit and go, oh, I'm never going to learn everything, right? Because you can't. Yeah. Possible. But then having this idea of the Holy Grail, this thing we can keep searching through curiosity, yeah. it just gave me a relief. I thought, that's great. I can just do this for the rest of my life and I'm never going to find it. But I'll be part of that group like Leonardo uh, <laughs> and, and all of these people, they're searching for, for something. So... Is that the idea there? Is that the idea of the Holy Grail? That, that is something that we, it drives us continuously towards something new. Yeah, so, so when myself and Bernie we were talking about it, you know, like the rumor was that Leonardo was in a kind of a, a secret society that was looking for the Holy Grail. And the Holy Grail was this chalice that, you know, associated with Christianity that yep. uh, if you drank it, it gave you eternal life, you know. So it, it took the dead and brings them back to life in Indiana Jones in the last crusade, you know. Correct. So then we were kind of talking about Leonardo going, actually, you know, curiosity takes the dead and brings them to life. It takes people who are bored and it brings them to life. And it's amazing how often I see that pattern with creatives. So I, 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 I was talking to a guy called Dave Zaboski from he was an animator in Disney. He, he's a brilliant guy. But he, um, like he animated like the Lion King and Pocahontas and stuff like that. And he basically, he had a creative block when he was in, he, he left, uh, he left law actually and went to study art. And then he, when he was studying art, he was like, he was going to God, I'm really bad at this. And, 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 and Milton Glaser came to the school like that he was teaching in. Milton Glaser designed the I Love New York t-shirt. And Milton Glaser like had this thing about drawing that if I knew what I if I knew it I wouldn't be drawing, you know I draw in order to to learn or to, to which I think is Leonardo, so so Dave Zabowski, he Milton Glaser said has anybody got any questions and he said I was so nervous 
I wrote out my question and I couldn't read it out. I had to walk up from the back of the auditorium like it was really awkward silence and I handed it to him. And my question was, how do you overcome a creative block? And, and, and Milton Glaser was like, well, I just go to the fridge. And everybody laughed. And Dave sat down and he was like, what does he mean? Like, what, what does he mean I just go to the fridge? So he said, I spent the rest of my career on a quest to try and figure out what does that mean? I go to the fridge. So this, this quest, this having a question or having a, something. And, and I think Leonardo walked around and he didn't have answers, but he looked at things. And he was like, oh, right. Like even now, Andrea, we were talking about how does a bird fly? Nobody's really ever explained that one, you know, like biomechanically, they kind of look at it. And Leonardo has all these amazing pictures of, of birds, you know, where it's like a, where you deconstruct it piece by piece by piece. Yep. But there's still a magic in the fact that it flies and they can't, nobody even now can explain how does that work? You know, and, and I think he was kind of like, a, the Holy Grail was like part of a, a, a search for something deeper, I think. And I think he, he had this curiosity that was driven to look deeper into things. So he walked around looking at kind of, you know, why, why does a bridge support that much weight, but not more, you know? And, and he just said, like, it, he went from one question to another and his, his notebooks are full of questions. Yes. And then exploring, like going, well, you know, maybe it's this, maybe we could do this, maybe we could do that. And trying to kind of, go beyond the current form to something else. And, 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 and that kind of prolific question asking was very exciting for him. But it's, it's also, you know, Bernie, you were saying the Last Supper was never really finished. And all of us creatives are, are, are because we're so, oh, right, it's the next thing. Oh, it's the next thing. Oh, I'm learning more. And because we're learning more, we kind of go, well, what I just did wasn't great, you know. Yeah. And Dave Zabowski had another quote along the lines of like, how many people does it take to finish a painting? You know, to the painter and then somebody to go knock it off. It's done. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And, and, and I, I, it, it reminds me of the quote from Dorothy Parker. You know, she said, like, the cure for boredom is curiosity, but there's no cure for curiosity. <laughs> and, and I, I, I and I love that because there's a sense of fun in it. And Bernie, I love the way you, you said as well that Leonardo had this sense of fun and he liked to have people around and he was, yeah. he was so you get a, a feeling of it's a it's a nice way to be in life, to be exploring these things, to be curious. It's, it's like being childlike, you know. And, and and Andrea, when you're saying, you know, how do you square that off with being a lawyer and having a meeting to go to? Like, I, I think we're all kind of, you know, everybody has like a, you know, creativity is fine until you do your tax returns and your car insurance. And then the administrative process for your kid going to school. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, a, right, how many books, do, how many copies do you need? How many hardback copies? You know, and, 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 and even in that, I think Leonardo had, like you said, Bernie, to-do lists. Like, you know, oh, he'd yeah. be kind of like, you know, <laughs> draw 27 pictures of human muscles on the face. And then he would connect that to, you know, the Mona Lisa. So it was all kind of jumbled into a mix. He, he wasn't kind of separating out like, 
I have my curiosity time, and then there's the, the then there's the, the, the there's the everyday thing. The whole thing was an experience. And Andrea, I love your kind of idea of the one hour holiday, of like you know, uh, giving yourself permission to be creative every day. And and I think that that's pointing in the same direction. Yeah, that's every day you take an hour for yourself, whether it's full hour all the time or. 30 minutes at a time, whatever it is, to do what you need to do and what you like to do when you're on a holiday. So it's a pretty simple concept, but it works for me. So every day I have an hour and uh, to myself. But then I say, you know, I can take a few minutes now. This is part of my holiday. I'm in this conversation with you, which is great. And so, yeah, it is. And I think, I think what, I'm, what, what I'm curious, though, and I'd like to ask Bernie actually, what I'm curious is, uh, because we know environment plays a huge part in, in all of that, right? So we're talking about the three of us having to go off and do more mundane things after this lovely yeah. conversation, uh, which kind of could dampen the creativity in that moment when you're sitting in, in the major meeting with whoever, your clients, your customers, whoever it is. But what about if Leonardo, Bernardo, Bernardo if Leonardo was here today, you know, what, what, what do people look at him? Like, what would they, what would they think of him? What do you think? Uh, he was, in his own time, he was considered a little bit like a weirdo. Okay. He was wearing uh, all the time pink, for example, which was not necessarily common in that time. He was vegetarian because he loved animals, which is, again, he was pretty much 500 years before the rest of the, the humans just started arriving there. Um, I don't know exactly how would he be perceived. What I know, and I think maybe it's a good message for all of us that uh, in the first biographies of Leonardo, which were written just right after his death, because he was really a rock star already during his life. The first uh, biography, I think it was written by Vasari, it said that Leonardo was a genius, but it was somehow given by God. So it was somehow made up being something, you know, coming from God, even something so unique. Whilst later it's been proven, especially knowing his, his own notes, he was a very average human. He was just an illegitimate son uh, of, uh, of actually a notary from Vinci, basically raised in, in a small village close to Florence. And he was living a completely normal life. And this is exactly what he was multiple times writing down for himself that his curiosity and everything he basically did in life was an effort. He, for example, when he wanted to draw a circle, I think there is one page in his notebooks, there is almost 170 trials for a circle because he practiced drawing a circle, which is, I, that, that's one of the message I love from Leonardo that we all have a Leonardo inside. And I think that could be even the really good, a, a cool question. Is curiosity the little magic element what unlocks your creativity and unlocks your entire complete Leonardo? Because I think it is. And now the question, how will he be considered today? I don't know, maybe the people we see today being very creative are, are all a little bit Leonardo's. Um, I think he could be an interesting role model, definitely. He still is. Yeah. 
I'll tell you why I asked that question, because I, I, and I don't want to bring this particular individual in the conversation, but I watched the documentary on Elon Musk on the BBC the other day, the three yeah, parts, really yeah. fascinating. I knew nothing about Elon Musk other than the backlash on Twitter at the moment. Yeah. Now, he's an extremely curious person. He's extremely, and, you know, he, what he's trying to do is, you know, being vegetarian 500 years ago and wearing pink 500 years ago was weird. Yes. He's trying to do things that I'm looking at going, this is weird. But is it weird? Or is it simply he's looking at the world in a diff- with a different view of the rest of us because he, he wants to. And he, because it, forget about the money, that came after. He's been doing yeah. this. So I'm wondering, is, is the Elon Musk type person out there, that, that Leonardo figure that, that was walking around Florence 500 years ago what everybody thought, Half of them thought he was weird. The other half thought he was a, a rock star, as you called him. So it, it, I think, it's, yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, like, <clears throat> I think there's a kind of a, a purposefulness in, mm-hmm. uh, or a non-purposefulness. Like one of the books that Elon Musk really likes is Isaac Asimov, which has this kind of the foundation, you know, which is like a, a really long, view of history, you know, and, and and safeguarding, you know, so what does human, what, what does humanity look like in 200 years? They're probably living in space. So could we do that now? You know, could we start planning for that kind of thing now? And, and I think for Leonardo, it was like uh, more, not, it wasn't more towards the future. It was more towards getting to the essentials of things. It was more towards like a, uh, a, a deeper understanding as opposed to a future understanding. So, and, 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 and in terms of like, who's going to be the Leonardo in the future? Like Leonardo didn't kind of sit there going, you know, I hope, you know, Andrea, Bernie and Dara get together in the year 2023 <laughs> and talk about me. Like he, he probably didn't give a shit about anything like that. Like he was, he, he, he had his notebooks which probably were never intended for public consumption. And like you said, Bernie, he turned down some of the aristocrats. He just did his thing. And out of a result of doing his thing, you know, he all of these byproducts of art and engineering and ideas were generated. And it just happened that people cottoned on to that and, and go. And the, the difference now, I think, is, the, uh, is it, it's everybody is a publisher. Everybody's got a podcast. Everybody's got a blog. So like, uh, and you know, there's that cliche about like, if you give a million monkeys typewriters, they produce the works of Shakespeare eventually, you know, that like, (laughs) and and we're in this kind of proliferation of information. But I think the reason that curiosity transcends or is that curiosity, you can be curious about the future, you can be curious about looking deeper, you can be curious about ways of filtering all these pieces of information. So regardless of what the future holds, as a way of looking at the world and a way of navigating the current situation, it seems to me to have an essential aspect. And and, and we know this is universal, like Bernie, you said Leonardo is in everybody because every kid's a Leonardo. Like yeah. they make Lego, they draw pictures, you know, they run like they're, they're all athletes, they're all artists, they're all engineers. 
Like you, you look out in the back garden and they've got like a bucket balanced on a stick and you're like, what, what are you doing there? Oh, I've just made a castle, you know, like, uh, and, and what does it do? Oh, it turns into a rocket. And you're kind of going, wow, you know, and we all have that in us. But then like what happens is our, uh, over time, I think is like, you made a great point, Andrea, about the, uh, the Medici's giving them the space. <laughs> given Leonardo the space because what happens us is that more and more of our space gets taken up by learning quadratic equations you know and like uh, the grammar you know French grammar and uh, and then like getting a job like you know you have to learn these 27 different computer systems and uh, and and all these codes that go into them so like we're our heads get full of stuff and we forget that like Stone Age man walking down the street and a rainbow appears and it's like, holy shit, like what, what is that? Like, where does that come out of, you know? And that sense of awe and curiosity, I think, for, even in the mundane, you know, we, we've overlooked it. And I loved from Leonardo this kind of perspective that like, <clears throat> you know, he walks past a fish shop and it's like, how does a fish fins work? Like, you know, I, note to self in notebook, like how does a fish fins work? And then like, I, and then he follows up on it and he starts taking fish apart. So he might be like cooking supper, like, and then he's like, oh yeah, sure. I'll just draw that while I'm doing it, you know? And then he, because he's doing it really fast and doesn't want to smudge the ink, he writes right to left, you know what I mean? And it, like, I, I have this kind of like a cock from back to the future, kind of a, like bit of a mad cat image of him which is different from the very kind of like you know well Leonardo has given us profoundly serious things that we should profoundly take seriously you know yeah like no. a lot of the discussion about him is, is is like you know I'm a profound person because I'm speaking about somebody who is very profound and he, he probably would be like well that's boring I'm over here <laughs> you know uh, yeah I, I would definitely agree based on what I read about him he was not much caring for conventions. Would, would you say that in English properly? Yeah. Uh, he hardly spoke actually Latin or could write properly because he never learned. I believe he was probably not interested enough because otherwise he could design a helicopter, <laughs> which is proven to even be able to fly in later 450 years. So he had certainly abilities. Uh, some things I think he was just not interested in. So, Bernie, you've been running with Leonardo, right? And listening to him. And so if you were to walk with Leonardo tomorrow oh. in Florence, what would you ask him? What would your curiosity bring you? What would you ask him? That's a very difficult question. You're both wearing pink. You're walking around. Yes. And, uh, and you just passed the fish shop and, and everything else. What, what, what would you be what would you curious about him or about the, anything? I think I would actually ask him if, if the curiosity is the, let's call it Holy Grail, somehow, somehow that, that little small thing, uh, what keeps you, it's a little empty nowadays that open-minded, but I think somehow open for, for the new ideas, for the various information or, or anything, uh, this is what keeps you fresh alive i think that's probably the best question is it is this the thing what keeps you alive 
because that's what really stands out from all of uh, his life. The more I read about him or or see the pieces of why that he was a very alive person. He actually enjoyed life with all of his struggles. He had his own struggles. It's also obvious uh, from from the notebooks. But he was a genuinely life-loving person. And somehow this is so nice, right? Because going back a little bit to Elon Musk, we would, I have somehow the perception that if you are considered to be a sort of a genius in your own age, you almost need to be a little bit of an asshole. Like, <laughs> and and it, it's obvious that, by the way, out of the two of them, it was Michelangelo being rather the asshole. He was a quite unpleasant person. <laughs> Whilst Leonardo was a super fun, very kind one. So it's not even, you know, the key to achieve something in life or to become somebody people speak about in 500 years that you are an asshole. It's because actually Michelangelo, according to the books, uh, he didn't want to do the Sistine Chapel and he hated every second of it, you know? Yes. Which yes. is, you know, you're going back to, you enjoy what you do and uh, you, you, know, you love doing it. If you don't enjoy doing it, it's a horrible thing. Plus, you know, he produced yeah. the chapel in the process. Uh-huh. I, I think there's a, there might be a clue in that, right? Because uh, one of the harshest things that we all judge is our own creativity. Mm-hmm. And Bernie, when you said... Michelangelo's drive to learn anatomy was to be perfect, was a drive towards perfectionism. And if you're a really perfectionist, then you're going to judge your creativity very harshly. So it it, it mightn't be that he he hated the the, the Sistine Chapel. He probably hated himself (laughs) for his lack of perfection on it, you know, which manifested in kind of frustration towards other people. Whereas Leonardo... Because his his notebooks were like um, a private thinking space, he didn't have the same constraints. He was like, oh, yeah, sure, I can be messy. You know, so like you'd have a shopping list, uh, you know, or a to-do list on the same page as something else. And he wasn't self-censoring or he wasn't trying to be perfect in those notebooks, which is mostly how we know him. His like his, But then... In, in the Last Supper, you know, like he, he still spent 16 years on the Mona Lisa. So he had perfectionist things. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Oh, it's just the perfectionism didn't paralyze him. And then yeah. and then in the Last Supper, Bernie, you were saying like one of the other aspects of that that I took from our conversation was like um, that it's like the first piece of kind of theater or cinema yes is that every character in it has some hand signals and if you learn to read the signals then you know that it actually tells a story it's not just a static picture and 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 the aliveness of that comes through you know whereas in my so but there's a lot going on like it's all these hand movements whereas the Sistine Chapel one of the most famous images is like uh the fingers yeah. touching, like, you know, Adam been touched by God or whatever. So there's still that kind of like a essential divine creativity, for want of a better description. It's just that it's like a one perfect little touch versus a prolific, alive, human, complex interaction so with lots of hand, hand gestures. So it, to me, it's, it seems like there's a kind of a, 
that's we only know them secondhand, but the, 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 yeah. the, one isn't judging creativity and is, is in touch with aliveness. And the other is kind of is creative, but with a lot of torture going along with it because of the perfectionism, you know. Yeah, that's possible. Maybe just for you, Andrea, for the fun, because for us, it was something really fascinating about The Last Supper that uh, Leonardo knew the hand gestures. I think that's a proper word in English, I hope. Because one of his best friend's brother was a deaf person. Sign so language. He act- so, yeah. So yeah. he actually used these particular hand moves on the Last Supper. So the characters are speaking. And that's what they, they tell something, all of them. So the very, when you see it and you see a little bit weird shapes, it's because they speak. And that's why not, today art historians say that this is the first cinema. Because somehow in a, in a screenshot, in a static two-dimension wall, which has, by the way, a door in the middle <laughs> as of today, but he made a, a complete piece of a story with talking characters. And I think this is, I like what you say very much, Tara, that instead of the one perfect point, because yeah. we all know that everybody knows, it's <laughs> yeah. this, this is a complete cinema. Which we don't know. By the way, we don't know because most people don't know that there is the hidden story. And I think that's also the reason Leonardo being connected often with the Holy Grail story with this so many underlying hmm. tricks, so, messages. Yeah. So just before, looking at conscious at the time as well, and um, just want to ask you, before I ask you the, to give you some the list of the books, but how do you feed your creativity? So for me, one of the very good feed is keep a discussion with Dara. We speak, I think, in every three weeks and it's half an hour, but we throw whatever we have. (laughs) I listen what Dara is working on. And this is always a lot of new input, you know, impressions. It's really, it's inspiration. Um, So one thing I realized at the age I'm already that I need to have people who are for me symbolizing creativity and the discussion with them runs on a different level. So it opens this, it triggers these different parts in the brain because in my daily job, it's not necessarily about creativity or not always, partially. The other one is definitely reading books. Um, even the reading book really heavily shifted now to listening books. Uh, for me, listening something, podcasts or books, whilst I run, I found somehow a very special place for this keeping creativity. Um, yeah, for me, that works very well. And the last question, how do you express your creativity then? What would be the most creative thing you do? The most creative thing? Um, I always try to bring this back somehow into my daily job. Nice. Uh, which is, so I have somehow given frame, I would say. I work for an IT company. So this is, there is a limitation for the creativity, one would say. I always try to go a little bit beyond. If the only possibility we have is, let, why don't we use hand-drawn things with one of the biggest customer, which is a little bit surprising. One would say it's, even childish, I'm trying to force for these small things 
so I think that's that's what I have uh, for today. <laughs> As really do the creativity, and what I'm trying to do is because Leonardo also said that connecting the different disciplines, this is where innovation really becomes real. And I'm always trying to think out of the box. If it's cloud transformation, how does it come with Leonardo? Really, seriously, like weird things, connecting the weirdest. Yeah, no, I love that because I, I, I do quite a few different things and people say, oh, you do so many things, but it's the multidisciplinary is what yes. helps me. Yeah. Uh, helps one thing and another and sometimes doesn't help. So you move on to the next one. And I love that because uh, uh, that's to go back to Leonardo is very much that's what he was. It was, it was exactly because he was scientist, architect, he was musician, he was all. That's why he didn't even consider himself as an artist or a painter, but he connected all somehow. So, yeah. That's that you bring it back into work and I'm sure whoever works with you benefits from it because otherwise you'd just be looking at, but you mentioned a lot of words. I don't even know what they mean, cloud transformation and- uh, <laughs> No, but all these things, I don't, want, I don't want to know, not today. <laughs> just, just as an observation, you know, like I've been in several meetings with Bernie where Leonardo would be used as a kind of a, a story at yeah. the start of it to set the frame for the discussion. And it's just so unusual for people. You know, <clears throat> most people are used to kind of like the bullet point agendas and stuff like But You know, Bernie would kind of start with a story and you're kind of like, well, wow, that's, you know, like, <clears throat> I think the story went along. So this is quite, this is very creative or an expression of creativity is Leonardo was given a blank wall and on a blank wall, he was told create something and he made the first piece of cinema, you know. So if we were given a blank wall, you know, we could paint it blue or, you know, we could go for something a little bit more ambitious, you know what I mean? It's like, uh, and, and Leonardo yeah. is to unleash the imagination. So I think part of the creativity is to create discussions that are interesting. It doesn't have to be an object, like it doesn't have to be a painting or a picture or a parachute or a helicopter. It can be a conversation that connects the dots, that, you know, uh, that, that brings these dis different disciplines together. And I would say, uh, from what I, from our discussions, Bernie, you do that really well. Like, brilliant. Oh, thank you. And Bernie, before I forget, so what what books would you recommend? Because I, I am going to go and buy them straight away. Um, I think if there is one and only uh, the biography of Leonardo da Vinci is from uh, Walter Isaacson. Okay. Uh, this is uh, I once Dara said it's probably not a book; it's probably a PhD study. It's massive. It's it's huge, but it has all the details. And uh, what Walter Isaacson did, he actually went to the places where there are still the original copies of the notebook. And he was really studying the original pieces of the notebook and going after Leonardo's life. So somehow I think he brings to one book. It's also art historically a very interesting piece because you learn about the paintings. Sometimes 100 pages is about one painting. So it's, it's a bit overwhelming. But you learn his life. So I think the one and only, if because that will take a lot of you. <laughs> I would recommend that one. Also the language is somehow very inspiring. And by the way, the same author, he did the biography of Einstein. I think, um, 
Pew, probably Steve Jobs. Yeah. And uh, he did also, it was not Roosevelt. I think he did one of the um, American presidents, but I don't recall which. So he actually does these biographies, which are very seriously going into the details and lives. Nice. So Sounds good. Sounds good. Uh, Andrea, let me ask you a question. Okay. As the, our Italian representative in the yes. room, you know, <laughs> Like, uh, you know, you, you, you've heard the kind of uh, the, the, the philosophizing of the people who aren't it, Italian, you know. So maybe as somebody who sees this as part of Italian heritage, you know, what's your kind of what's your take on Leonardo and, you know, where he fits in modern culture and, 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 and how he's shaped you? Or how he's had an influence on you growing up, even. Yeah, it's funny because I, I left Italy quite young. I was 23, 22, 23. So up to that point, growing up in Rome and spending a huge amount of time in Tuscany, because I just love Tuscany. We used to go every weekend and every time we could, we went to Tuscany. Siena was my favorite city in the world. Then it was Florence. So the problem was that growing up at that age, you don't see these things. It's just your playground, right? So literally, that's what my playground was. I used to do PE from school in the, cir in the Circo Maximum, the Circus Maximum. That, that was our PE, genuinely. So it's a PE place. It's not something that you notice. And the Colosseum is a place where you go and hang out uh, because you don't want to go to school. So a lot of the stuff really passed me. As much as I appreciated the beauty, there was so much beauty of everything that... It was like, yeah, oh, that's another beautiful painting by whoever, you know, it doesn't matter. Oh, Michelangelo, yeah, well, the other, or it doesn't matter. So there was a lot of that. But what it has done then, traveling afterwards, traveling around the world, Australia, America, whatever, made me realize the importance of beauty. And I mean beauty in, in it's just, there's just so much that it, a, a painting, a, a, a church, and any of these things, the Colosseum, and any of these amazing places you see when you walk around Italy, that have that heritage, that really being part of something, you know, being that having the roots from from that country, it meant a lot. I remember going to Australia and going, "Where is everything? You know, beautiful. Is there a building anywhere I can True. look at?" And you don't notice it until you leave, you know. And then, you know, from Hungary, it's the same. The Hungary is a beautiful Ottoman heritage and all this amazing. But you, until you actually leave the place, you don't realize, you know, you don't know what you got, what you miss until you, you don't know what you got until you miss it or whatever. Until, until yeah. it's so, so it was very much part of our growing up. It, it was part of what you study, school. And, and it really didn't mean much until much later. So now I really look at it. And every time I go back, I was in Milan recently, I made a point to go and have a look around. I was in Rome, there was a, a Leonardo exhibition, I went to see it. Oh. It, yeah, it's fascinating. And it's, it's, it's so, even more fascinating now than, than it was before, because now I really appreciate it. <clears throat> so I, I don't know, from, from, I think we're overwhelmed with what the, the Medici did in the in Renaissance was something that it's, 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 it's beyond comprehension for somebody to do it now because you you can spend a day in you can spend a week in Florence and you only see 
a handful of the amazing stuff that has been done. Same in any other city in Italy. So I don't know. It, it, it's just so much part of the DNA, to be honest, of, of our nation that we don't appreciate enough. We we just see, and I talk for myself, we just see it as a great place, great way to get tourist things so we can rip them off and sell them cappuccinos for a tenner. <laughs> <laughs> But I'm sure there's a lot more. And like, you know, look, there's a, the Belle Arti is, 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 is a whole, um, there's a whole department that looks after the, the Belle Arti, the, the, the artistic uh, uh, beauty that we have. And it's, it's, as I say, I, I wish I appreciated more when I was there. Now I'm just recouping. Every, every year I go back, I always learn something new. But I, I think what's interesting for me, Andrea, is that's kind of a symptom of the modern world. Right. Everybody's read somebody's commentary about the Mona Lisa and then had a look at a thumbnail on the Internet and gone, yeah, yeah. You know, but they don't think that Leonardo studied 27 different corpses to get the 27 different muscles of the face to get one smile. So they're kind of the depth of it is is it's lost on us because we get stuck in the kind of the. The other thing, but I love what you said as well, is that there's so much beauty. Like when you were in Siena, it was a playground. And there's so much beauty that, uh, you know, that's just part of it. And I think Leonardo was that way. It was like, uh, oh, a bird. Wow, th- that's amazing. You know, like, uh, <laughs> oh, a bridge. Wow, that that's amazing, too. You know, and, and, and like you were saying, Andrea, is like instead of turning right when you come out your front door, turn left and see what happens <laughs> and this kind of waking up to it is kind of like uh it, 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 our appreciation evolves and our curiosity evolves so you going away you realize oh where's all the old buildings there's a kind of a waking up and then yeah. and it woke up your curiosity so it's the holy grail again it's it's bringing you to life is good because you notice it and you go hang on i really appreciated that at home and I'm not seeing it here, you know. So, like, how, how does that work, you know? Absolutely. And uh, and I think uh, the other thing that it's, uh, as I said to you before, uh, about envy, you know, that's one thing that I learned about sitting around Italy uh, of late, in the last 10 years, and watching people drawing, you know, this, you know, sitting there sketching these beautiful buildings. And you just watch them and, and you go, wow, I wish I could do that. And that brought out my passion for drawing that I didn't know I had, just simply feeding on the envy that sometimes is seen as a, as a negative, but it isn't. It's uh, something that is a passion that is buried there somewhere. So whether it's drawing or it doesn't matter what it is. So, so that, that's another way that, that opens up your eyes and your awareness to looking at things in a different way. Because now when I go back and I try to sketch, it doesn't matter what it is, the church, I can't do it the way the guy was doing it beside me, but I'm definitely looking at it a completely different way. And I'm noticing the gargoyles on the top that I never noticed before, you know. So I wonder what that, what that, what's that mean? What's that wolf looking like thing on the top of the church? You know, because I never noticed it before. Because you just look at it, oh, beautiful cupola and move on. So it's, it's just, again, paying attention, focusing on something. And I hope that's, uh, I think I think it can be quite simple, uh, Bernie. I think you you agree with that. It can be quite simple to to focus on something and feed that curiosity that then opens up something new, something new, something new for you. Yeah. 
I wanted Absolutely. to say it was Leonardo because just you read the thousand yeah. pages <laughs> book about it, but it opens up a curiosity that brings it to 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 work. Yeah. By the way, that's what he also said, Leonardo. Uh, it's mentioned in the book that once he spent roughly two weeks sitting only in a garden every day, watching the dragonflies because he wanted to capture how they fly. These pairs of wings, how these move. Uh, and then he actually made also the comment that the key is somehow observation. The closer you observe, the more detail you just start seeing and it opens up a completely different world. So. I totally agree that exactly when you try to draw something, if nothing else, then your focus point, focus point is already different. How you look at the details, it's probably you never did before. So. I, 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 I also love Leonardo because I never finish anything. And <laughs> <laughs> procrastination. He said procrastination is, is actually a positive thing. So. <laughs> I, I'm definitely related to him. Uh, sorry, Dara, I interrupted you. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say that I love your point, Andrea, that envy reveals a hidden passion, right? Because the observation yeah. isn't just seeing what's on outside, it's seeing what's inside. And and then, oh, yeah. like, Leonardo didn't self-censor. He didn't go, oh, I'm not an engineer. Or he just, <laughs> he just, you know, oh, like, I could never be an engineer. Like, he sat there with a notebook and he drew drew 170 circles so like uh he he, he was observing on the inside as well as the outside in his own kind of thing and he didn't let the perfectionism of the michelangelo overcome him like michelangelo was so focused on the kind of uh the getting it right that like he didn't do anything else whereas leonardo was like you're sitting there appreciating the building and looking at the guy sketching going god I, I i'd love to be able to do that but you didn't go but i never would be able to you yeah. just do it you know and 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 Leon, and i think that's a, a real you know there's the observation and on the outside and on the inside and then there's the willingness to just play and experiment and to have a notebook and draw or whatever it is just for yourself and try it out and go Sure, I'm not an engineer. Who cares? And and it brings to mind, you know, like if you look at Bruce Mao or some of these kind of designers who are multidisciplinary, they don't stop at graphic design. They look at designing cities, designing buildings, designing regenerative ecosystems, you know, putting uh, cradle to the cradle uh, products together like William McDonough the architect the same you know he made a, he, he wrote a book and the book when it decomposes will be nourishment for trees and and the whole point of it is and and that's all the same type of you yeah. know not getting stuck in a silo and just allowing the creative process to work so I, I, I think there's something really profound in that you know Envy reveals a hidden passion and then not getting in your way when you're doing it. And it's worked for me and several, uh, like I'm now doing radio shows and podcasts because of that, because I spent my life listening to radio and I go, wow, I'd love to be able to do it. I'd love to be that guy that talks in the middle of the night when nobody's listening. 
So like now I do that, you know, and it, it doesn't matter, really. It doesn't matter. It's, it, as we said at the beginning of this, it's the journey, right? It's the journey. It's the who knows what, what the next thing is going to be revealed to us, you know, and um, the way Bernie sees the world, the way Dara sees the world, the way I see the world, it'd be completely different. And, you know, we, we all look at it from a different angle and, and having conversations like this, I think will bring that kind of perspective on what can be like, you know, I'm now looking at, I'm still looking at my copy of the, the Mona Lisa. <laughs> and I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to try again. I still don't get it, but I'm going to try again. Now that Bernie told me a bit more about it now, then I'm going to read about it and see if I can, and I might never get it, but that's okay. You know, I might still prefer a different painting by a different artist, but that's okay. That's perspective, you know, that's perceptions and whatever, the way we see the world. The, the books I think mentioned were Walter Isaacson's biography or, of Leonardo. Leonardo I think you mm-hmm. mentioned Andrea the Agony and the Ecstasy about Michelangelo. It's a, it's a historical and, novel and it's a great, it's a great read. It's, uh, it's easy to read and uh, it's all about Michelangelo, but Leonardo appears in a few times, yeah. Yeah. Good. And, and maybe we should hit stop on the recording, otherwise we'll be like, Leonardo and oh. Mona Lisa because <laughs> we're at time but we could probably spend another 15 or 16 years and, we, and thanks a million and we can do it again yeah. and we hope you enjoyed our conversations with Bernie Fodor stay tuned for more podcasts and more guests the title tune is Happy and Shining by The Roundabout Us
Sunny day.